0: Oh, well, no, I, I don't. I don't think I did that. I I, I feel like this book certainly isn't an indictment of, of black men. What it is an indictment of.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shnaz Ahmed, and today I'm chatting with Brian Broom. Brian Broom is a poet, a screenwriter, he is a Kayla Roy Irvis Fellow and instructor in the writing program at the University of Pittsburgh. He has been a finalist in the Moth Storytelling Competition and won the grand prize in Carnegie Mellon University's Martin Luther King Writing Awards. He also won a Van Award from the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation for Journalism in 2019. He lives in Pittsburgh. His memoir, Punch Me Up to the Gods, comes out today, May 18th. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes, and I thank you. Also, I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L I B R O.fm, and enter code L L T B podcast. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the link in the show notes. And now, without further ado, pull up a seat, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Brian Broom, the author of Punch Me Up to the Gods. Brian, welcome. Welcome to the Living a Life Through Books podcast. I am excited to have you here. And uh, you wrote a memoir, Punch Me Up to the Gods. Yes. That's quite a title.
0: It is quite a title. It's a, uh, it's a strange title. And it's kind of a, a lot of people ask me about it. What does that mean? Um, and it's kind of a take on something. All I'll say is it's kind of a take on something that my father used to say. Um, it's in the book. Nobody understands it until they until after they read the book. But it's a it's a, re, a sort of rewording of something that my father used to say.
1: Right. No, I got it from the book. I was just right. kind of like when when I first got the book, I'm going, "Punch me up to the gods." What the heck?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you were compelled. Were you compelled? You were you like I need to get into this book because I need to know what this title means.
1: You know, I don't know.
0: You don't
1: know. I don't know. I'll be very honest. I'll just be honest. I don't know. I I was curious. Yes. I was like, okay. I was more compelled because it was a memoir. Right. And you know, it was a coming of age memoir. I mean, I'd heard about it, so I was like, I'm curious about the story. Now, I personally think we need more memoirs.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think everyone has a story yes every single human being walking this planet has a story absolutely you know i could meet you on the street hey brian how's it going hey Schnoz. hello and that's it right and it would just be this very what do you call it what's the right word small talk small talk very um binary or is it you know very superficial What we get when we meet someone, what we get when we meet someone is uh, their race, right? Okay. So Brian, you're black. I, I'm Indian. You know, you you get that, the look you can get potentially their sex because these days, you know, with trans, we don't know hundred percent, but you get that. If you have small talk, you can say, okay, well, Shanaz, you're a dentist. Okay. Brian, what do you do? i'm a writer Uh, so you're a writer no no that's fine no this this is it right (laughs) brian what do you do you're a writer and that's it right okay even if i were to ask you what do you write and let's say you had written a fiction novel oh i write fiction oh cool okay the end but the brian that's in your book is not that brian
0: right that's not a brian that's presented every day you don't get that brian from small talk, you know, there are a lot of, uh, uh, there are stories that I, you know, swore I would never ever tell to anybody in this book. So it's definitely not a small talk book. I think it goes deeper. And like you say, you know, everybody has a story. Isn't it interesting? You know, I ride the bus all the time and I just listen to people talk and I write down little things that they say, because I'm really interested in everybody's stories. There's, you know, seven and a half billion people on the planet, and that means that there are seven and a half billion stories. You know, I don't think uh, a lot of people think that their life is that interesting. I don't think that my life is that interesting, but you know, the story is always more compelling when somebody hears your story. Like, you know, how did you get to where you are? What's happened to you that's significant in your life? So, I think stories are incredibly important. I think memoir is incredibly important because you learn, uh, you know, from other people's experiences, other people's stories.
1: So what prompted you to, can I say, come out in such a raw, powerful way just to just to say it? I I mean, that that must have been hard. I'm just reading this. I'm going, you know, part of it, I'm reading it. And there are two things that I'm thinking. One I'm thinking is, wow, what a story like just completely opened up. It's written so well. And then the other aspect is, oh, my gosh, this is real. This yeah. is a man. He, he is bearing his soul to us. How does he do that? Like, yeah.
0: I think it's probably uh, a little bit of naivete. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, when I was writing it, I just was like, I'm just going to write it. I don't care what anybody thinks. but. You know, obviously you care what people think, but I think that for me, what prompted this story was just going to rehab for drugs and alcohol. I went to rehab and when I was there, I realized that I really needed to get sober, that I was miserable, that I needed to make a change. And I started writing these stories while I was in rehab. And I wrote wrote these stories specifically because I was thinking, you know, what events in my life have landed me in rehab? It wasn't like it was these singular events, but they were kind of a theme. There are different themes in the book that I think led me to become an alcoholic and a drug addict. And I was addressing those themes through the stories that I told. So really, it was rehab. And in rehab, you know, they say that you're only as sick as your secrets. And so I decided to put my secrets down on paper. And, and then I met some people who uh, thought that my secrets would make a good book. So you know, here we are.
1: Now, I was in a, um, I guess in a chat room, whatever, in, in an author's chat room, where people were talking about, oh, I wanna write a story. I wanna write about my life. And I, you know, and I probably said, oh, I wanna write a memoir, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, someone said to me, I was through the whole room really, said, if you write a memoir, like like you, Brian, You've written a memoir. So be careful because that's what you're gonna be known for. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Because it almost felt like a sense of caution that you know, now when you're out here talking to me, to podcasters, to you know, interviewers, that somehow that's all they're gonna talk about. Is the trauma and be careful because do you want to be known for who you are or do you want to be known for your trauma? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, you know, I don't think of this book as a trauma narrative, really. I think it's a book of, you know, I mean, everybody in their life has had some trauma, I think most people. And if you're still here, you know, you obviously come through that trauma in one way or another, or you're surviving it. So I think of it more as, you know, yeah, some bad things happened, but here I am. And these are the bad things that happened. But look at me, I'm still standing. You know, I'm still talking about it. I definitely don't want to be known as, you know, the trauma boy. And, and the, you know, you do get sort of a, you know, there's a limited picture that you get of an entire human being, like even through memoir. But yeah, I mean, I can see, you know, I can see where people will do that. And I um, am prepared to to deal with that, I think. You know, I look, I think of a lot of the great memoirs that i've read like mary carr for instance the liar's club i think is a great book but i don't think that these days she's known as you know the trauma the trauma lady you know i think that people can see past the story to to know that there's an even deeper story there as well and the fact that i'm here and i'm talking to you and sitting upright and that you know i'm sober and all that sort of speaks to the fact that you can come through trauma so i think of it more as a you know this is how i how I'm surviving, you know, Hey, how are you surviving? Okay. So what is your um,
1: why? I know you said you were in rehab mm-hmm. and you just said, do it. And you said it was naivete. Tell me A about naivete. Bit. Why, why do you think this, there is naivete in it? Why not? Why, why not boldness?
0: You know, I don't think that at the time, I think I got m- more bold as I went along. But I think when I started writing these things down, I thought, I didn't know that they were, and this sounds weird, but I didn't know that they were as personal as they were. And so, you know, I was writing stories and I, you know, I would put in something and somebody would read it and say, wow, that's really a lot, Brian. Are you sure you want to put that in? I was like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. So I think there was a little bit of a naivete in the beginning. Toward the end, I think I did get a little bit more bold and just say to myself, why not just put it in? Like... You know, this is incredibly embarrassing, but I'm just going to put it in. Why not? Like, What I find is that it connects me to people more when I just am honest. There have been people who've read the book who have really identified with it and my poor choices who have even said to me, yeah, I went through the exact same situation with someone. And so I find that the, you know, The boldness comes from, I'm finding that there are people who really identify and I'm not alone. That's, I think that's a really big thing that, uh, you know, in terms of people connecting with the book, they realize that they're not alone in their shame. They're not alone in their, you know, misery. I mean, I think a lot of this book is about me just really hating myself for a very long time. And I think that there are people, a lot of people who have experienced that. So hopefully people will connect to that.
1: How hard was it? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, how do you push through and write through all these memories? How do you do it?
0: I go to a quiet place. I get my. I you know. I, I I write on the bus a lot, but I only write notes on the bus, like for something that I might want to write. But then you know, I get to a quiet place, like a you know a, a little spot in the library or in my my office in my house, and turn off the lights, and I just you know, in terms of the memories, I just close my eyes and try to really inhabit the emotional place that I was in when that particular thing I'm writing about was happening. Like, you know, if I was excited, I try to, you know, sort of get excited and and then write. If I was sad, uh, you know, I have to sort of make myself sad and then write just by thinking about that moment. I really have to just immerse myself in the moment and try to remember everything as clearly as it happened. And then I'm in it, and then it's it's not easy to write at that point, but it's much easier to write if I'm in the emotional place that I was when the thing I'm writing about happened. Wow! I listen to a lot of sad music, and a lot of happy, <laughs> and a lot of happy music. You know, a lot of Donna Summer went into the making of this book because I love Donna Summer. I think everybody should. Right. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I, I literally like there were there were times when I was writing it that I was dancing to old 80s music and then I would go and write a few lines and then I would dance some more to old 80s music. So, you know, it wasn't all drudgery. It wasn't all misery. It was sometimes it was quite fun to write this
1: book. What do you hope your readers will get from it? And also, do you have a hope for um, straight readers versus LGBTQI readers? What is your hope?
0: Well, I mean, I obviously, as a, as a gay person of color, you know, I want to tell this, this story, these stories and hope that, you know, other gay people of color, specifically gay black boys, I hope the stories really resonate with them. You know, and that's why I originally put pen to paper to to write these stories, but I do recognize that there are some common themes. Like I said earlier, you know, there is a connection that comes from reading other people's stories. I hope that people learn that you know shame is something that is put into you. You're not born with shame. I hope that people learn that other people will bring you their poison. Uh, it is your choice whether or not to swallow it. And I hope that people learn that you don't have to sort of you know you don't have to perform the body that you're in. Meaning that a lot of people want you to be a certain way simply because of the body that you're in. And, and oftentimes we, we start performing these roles or, or just trying to be accepted at the cost of everything else. I hope that people see that as well, but you know, specifically, I, I think that the, uh, the gay issues, I do want to, if there are young people struggling with their sexuality or gender identity or anything, I, I hope that this book is a message of hope for them, but you know, the bigger picture, I hope it's a message. Of hope hope for everyone.
1: I wanna ask you about the the shame and the poison that you said that, you know, shame is something that's put into you Mm. and we don't have to take the poison that people present to us. It's not as easily said because here's here's the thing. When when we're talking about poison in a very literal sense, literal sense is there's poison, in whatever form it is and you literally the here you go take it then you swallow it and then it does something to your body right Right, but the way poison the figurative poison is presented to us is by means of words by means of actions and to say well we don't have to take that it's a very difficult thing to say because if someone comes at me and insults me which is kind of with mm-hmm. you you know mm-hmm. with all the things that have been said to you mm-hmm. to say well <laughs> I, I don't have to take it
0: right it,
1: it, you know that's like saying well you've got to literally turn your ears off yeah turn your eyes off to how people treat you that's
0: oh yeah not as I easily
1: mean, said as as you're like well don't take the poison
0: yeah it's much easier said than done it really is. And, I, and this is a whole book devoted to that, I, you know, to the fact that it's much easier said than done. Um, but I think when you know what's happening, it's easier to sort of, how, can, how do I want to put this? It's easier for you to, to, to know that it's out there rather than like I did just go through life and not know that you were being poisoned the whole time against yourself. That's kind of what the book is too. It is a warning sort of that this is out there. The poison is oftentimes embedded in our culture. And this book is kind of like a cautionary tale saying like, look, this thing is out there. There are people out there who don't want to see you happy, who want you to feel miserable about yourself, who want you to be ashamed of yourself. So it's, you know, and like you say, it's, it's not a matter of turning off your eyes and ears more than it's a matter of really opening your eyes and ears to identify the kinds of things that people will, will want to shame you about. And they would like to shame you out of your existence. And that's what I think the book is, is, is also doing. Like, hey, look out. Don't, don't, do, don't do like I did. You know, don't be like I was. So it's easier, I think, if you know that it's out there.
1: So there's an element of your book that I was like, ooh, this is interesting, which is the element where you discuss the quote unquote black man and what the black man should be. Mm. And uh, even in relation to controlling his women and all of that, I was quite disturbed by that, I don't know if I want to call it stereotype or that culture, I was just like, whoa, this is, you know, this almost makes Black men look bad. Not almost, it does. So, I mean, let's, you know, forget almost, okay? It makes Black men look bad. And it almost feels like if there are any women out there looking for Black men, I mean, be like, nope, Girls, stay far away. Black man, just, just stay far <laughs> away. Dude. I mean, just go the other way, maybe find a different race, whatever, but this black man's not going to treat you right.
0: Oh, well, no, I, I, don't, I don't think I did that. I, I, I feel like this book certainly isn't an indictment of, of black men. What it is an indictment of is, I think, toxic masculinity, which I think all men uh, are capable of performing. My point with Black men specifically is that I think that there's more of a pressure to be super masculine. You know, we see toxic masculinity all the time in our culture. But I think because of the racism that has been here since the founding of this country, Black men are under more of a pressure to perform masculinity, to be the toughest guy in the room. There are certainly Black men, a lot of Black men who don't, who have eschewed that whole notion and... uh, and who live lives that are full and who understand the the concept of toxic masculinity. But I think that the bigger picture is that Black men are encouraged not to be emotional, not to be tender, and to not show our feelings. So it's not a warning uh, about Black men. I think it's a warning about this cultural situation that Black men are in, where we are told in so many different ways how not to behave. And there are men who, who definitely believe in that toxic masculine uh, idea. idea, And it's more of a warning about that. It's not a warning about Black men. Black men are
1: awesome. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> just, you know, it, it was just like the whole, the concept of toxic male masculinity, I think it's there in Not just in Black culture, but it's there in a lot of cultures.
0: Oh, yeah. It's there in a lot of culture. I can't speak for any other culture. I can say that overall, it's an American uh, thing. I can't speak for any other uh, country. But, you know, as again, I think my point is that it does exist everywhere and in all men of all races. But there's more of a pressure to perform it, I think, culturally in Black spaces, Black American spaces.
1: Okay, so what is your um legacy what do you want your legacy to
0: be oh gosh <laughs> that's a huge that's a huge question am i dying did some did, no you know no
1: some... no you are not dying i just you know when someone you know writes something i don't know no, oh, no when you write a memoir <laughs> you know it's like as i'm reading this memoir all i can think about is i want to know what brian just you know, like, what is his legacy? what does he want to leave behind? Because when you write a book, mm-hmm. you leave something behind, you leave a message behind, you leave a part yeah. of you behind. The book will outlive you, whether you like it or not. That, that's that's yes. the nature of a book. So right. that's where, that's why whenever that's there, especially with a memoir, I thought, Brian, what is your legacy? What do you want it to be?
0: Well, I think that um, you know, as far as this book is concerned, I'd like it to, I'd like for people to say like, you know, this book helped with the cultural conversation around poverty, around homophobia, around just general queerphobia, around masculinity, and I hope they that, that you know people say that it was a it was a good book. Uh, I, I felt something while reading it. You know, who knows what's next? I have no idea. Uh, um, you know, I'm just going to uh, talking about this book now, but maybe in a year I'll be talking about another book sitting here with you. And I'll be wearing that shirt, that, that free shirt you're going to give me. Um, but as far as a legacy, I haven't really, I haven't thought about that, but I hope that the book, which you so aptly say is going to live on after me, has a legacy in terms of contributing toward our cultural conversations.
1: I can see a book being banned. My book? Mm-hmm. I can see it in the future now i mean obviously like right now it's still new right and so you know it's a new book people are still getting to experience it and you know you Mm. want people to read it but down the road i don't know how many years down the road i can see your book is being banned i I don't know why
0: (laughs) okay
1: I, i don't know why i say that but I just feel that someone's gonna come up and say, oh no, oh no, 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 we are not doing this book. This book, the messages in this book are not something that we want people to read. Because like right wow. now, the, the, re- the reason I'm even saying that is because in Missouri, there's a, um, I think there's a bill going up in the legislature for, um, for banning uh, Dear Martin from the schools for, for oh, education wow. and dear martin's such a i mean it's, i love that book so you know and i think i, I was like okay wait you people want to ban dear martin to be in the school systems this book is so mild and then i come to punch me up to the gods and i was like down the <laughs> road i'm going you guys are not going to be able to handle the spice in this <laughs> book i mean if you can't handle dear martin forget this. You're just going to run. You're just going to ban this and you're just going to go hide in your little corners. That's why I say that. (laughs) That's why I say that.
0: The good news is that later on this year, I've actually booked at a high school to talk about this book. So that's the good news. But, you know, on the other hand, like a banned book. Nothing gets booked. Nothing promotes book sales like a banned book. Uh, So maybe that's a good thing. But I don't know. I, you know, I think people are ready for this kind of content. I think people have been ready for this kind of content and more for a long time. You know, it touches on some pretty, uh, on some sensitive subjects, you know, but I don't, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I kind of hope your prediction comes true and I hope it doesn't come true at the same time because, you know, banned books are super popular, but a high school in my area did actually invite me to come and speak to the student body about, about the book. So you know, that's a, that's a good bit of news. That's, you know, that doesn't seem to lead toward a banning, but we'll see what happens.
1: Bring your book to Missouri to a super white high school here and Ooh. you will be banned and canceled
0: like wow. this.
1: Yeah. You will be I've gone. never been
0: to Missouri. Really? I, I don't. Okay. Well, thank depends, you for the warning.
1: Depends on, you know, where you are, but I mean, bring it and you will, they'll be like, uh, uh-uh. uh mm.
0: Wow. This book In
1: our schools, we do not want that. I don't even know. That's when I don't know what kind of poisons they'll bring up. But
0: right, right.
1: Because, you know, obviously, they can't handle dear Martin in the school system. Right? You think they're gonna handle your book?
0: I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, it remains to be seen. There are a lot of questions, you know, in terms of how the book will be received. You know, it hasn't come out yet. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of who do not like it uh, for various reasons. There are people who will say that I'm a crappy writer. There are people who say I shouldn't have written what I wrote. There are people who are going to say it doesn't make sense. I mean, people are going to say all kinds of things. But, Jealous.
1: You know, it, Jealous. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. But if you listen to all that criticism, uh, you know, you, you're never going to write anything. So, you know, I try to, you know, tune all that out and just write what I want to write. And, uh, you know, and I think when you do that, you become a, not only a stronger writer but a stronger person in general just ignoring all of that. But other people say people are always going to have something to say. you know as I said, there's seven seven and a half billion of us there are seven and a half billion lives being lived seven and a half billion different. Things. so if I, if I uh, you know cave to all of them, I would never do anything at
1: all. Neither would anyone in the world,
0: Exactly. It, exactly.
1: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. It's not even the voices outside, even in the voices inside your head. Did you yeah. ever have any self-doubt within oh, you? Yeah. Like any fears? I mean
0: Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, it's uh it's terrifying to put your story out there for the entire world to read. It is, you know, it's daunting, but at the same time, it's also relieving. You know, there's a little bit of catharsis involved. This is my story, this is what I did, this is the people involved, and there it is. So judge me at all you want. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep going, you know, no matter what you say.
1: Tell me about Tuan.
0: Tuan is a real person who is somewhere, I imagine, in the city where I live. I don't know where he is now, but as I said earlier, I write a lot on the bus. I just take down little notes and snippets of conversations that I hear while I'm on public transportation. And one day I was riding the bus and I saw a man and his son interacting in ways that I thought were kind of pedagogical in nature. You know, the father was teaching the son how not to behave and that struck a chord with me. I started sort of feverishly taking notes about their interactions and yeah, these, this is a real father and son somewhere in the city of Pittsburgh, I, you know, unless they've moved, who probably don't know that they've ended up in, in my book. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of, uh, I, was, I was writing the stories for the book at the time when I, when I encountered them, and then I saw them, and I was like, I have to somehow get them into this book, and that's how Twan came to be in the book.
1: What about your uh, mother's story? That was in the Mm -hmm. book, too. Yes. Was that from your mom's point of view? I mean, did you talk to your mother? How
0: how did that story come about? I asked my mother if I could interview her about her life. And she said yes, shockingly. And she told me a lot of things. Uh, She told me her story, which I didn't know before. I didn't know any of that, really. I knew some things, but I didn't know. A lot of what she told me. So we sat down and I put a microphone in her face and I asked her questions and she told me her backstory before I was born. You know, I think I had been living under the delusion that my mother's life didn't begin until I was born, (laughs) but she definitely had a life. She definitely had aspirations and dreams and she made mistakes. And yeah, that story is a real story. It's her story. She read the book recently and said that she loved it. So, you know, my job's done there. How did that make you feel? Oh, it made me feel great. I was worried about how she was going to react. She originally told me as I was writing it that she wasn't going to read it at all. And so I sent her a copy anyway. I said, you can just put it on the shelf and tell everybody that your son wrote a book. You don't have ever have to read it. And I sent it to her. I didn't hear anything for maybe like a day or so. And then she texted me and said, I'm reading your book and i love it." And then, of course, I immediately called her. And she had, she had a few quibbles, um, but ultimately she said she loved it. And that makes me feel very proud. Wow. Yeah.
1: Everyone should have a story like yours. I don't mean with all the stuff that, that, no, 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 not, (laughs) not not the backstory. I mean, no, not, not the backstory. Just, you know, the, the ending with your mom, the, the, the acceptance of what you told me now after the book came out story that one
0: yes that that makes you feel really good that makes you feel really good you know if somebody had told me that all of these things that happened in my life or these stories would end up in a book I would have said they were absolutely insane but here we are and it's been a really interesting journey you know and it's been a fun journey I've had a lot of support Um, I've had people tell me I shouldn't do it but again here we are And we'll see what happens uh, when the book comes out.
1: So, Brian, what is your secret talent now that I know it's not basketball? So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes, it is not basketball. (laughs) My secret talent. Something uh, that
1: you, you're talented and the people do not know that oh my gosh you can make a killer chili I don't know you you're, oh, you're amazing do, with planting. I don't know.
0: I do make a really good sweet potato pie uh, Really Yes, I make a really good sweet potato pie but it's from my mom's recipe so that doesn't I don't know if that really counts. I can still sing pretty well really Although the register has changed yeah I can sing pretty well I think I think that's just my opinion. Nobody else will back me up. No, no,
1: no, no. Sing me something. Let's let's just do a little bit. Real something. Oh look,
0: God! I should. Come on,
1: come on. Let's try a little bit.
0: Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's all you. Ooh,
1: yeah! (laughs) love it. Thank you. Wow. There you go. Yeah. I love it.
0: I can still sing pretty well. But that's about it. Pie and singing, I think, are my only other talents. Yep, that's about it.
1: That's the title of a book. Pie and singing.
0: Pie and and singing.
1: Pie and singing. Singing pie. Singing and pie. Pie singing. I don't know. Anyway. We'll
0: figure it out. We'll figure it out.
1: So uh, where to from here?
0: I don't know. I don't know yet. Um, You know, I'm going to be teaching... Coming up, and I enjoy teaching a great deal. So that for a while, I have I'm kicking around a few ideas for a second book, and so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It's a little too. It's a little early, but I, you know, I think it's there's probably a second book in the work, and just teaching my writing classes.
1: So you teach writing?
0: I do teach writing at the University of Pittsburgh, and I teach. Uh, I've taught uh, Introduction to Nonfiction. At the University of Pittsburgh so that is a great deal of fun and so I'll just continue to do that and then hopefully there's another book in here somewhere
1: wow what would you say to um wannabe writers like myself what would you say to people like me let me tell you that about uh, four years ago I think yeah it was about four or five years ago I started writing a memoir
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I got to a point where it just got so hard. Like one day I was writing something I just couldn't. And yeah. I remember I just couldn't. That's it. I just I got up from the screen and I haven't worked on it ever since. It just was so hard emotionally. Yeah. So I just yeah. walked away from it and I've walked away. You know, I love to walk away. That's, that's my go to thing. So, you know, like, nope, not doing it. And yeah, yeah. Uh, well, now I'm working on a fiction novel. I'm actually, Mm -hmm. this one, I haven't walked away from and I'm still hanging in there. So help me God, I'm still hanging in there with a second draft now. Uh, So what would you say to writers of both fiction and nonfiction?
0: Oh, I just, you know, my advice is always keep writing. Just keep writing. I I would love to be able to say something more specific than that. But just keep doing it. I mean, you it, like even when, even if you have a day where you feel like everything that you've written is just utter crap, just keep, keep going. It doesn't happen. Nobody can read it unless it exists. <laughs> so that's the main drive. And I know, as you just said, it, it can get hard. And you can just be like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Step away for a day or so if you need to, but always keep going. That's the best bit of writing advice I ever got was that nobody, is going to be able to read it if it doesn't exist. So keep writing.
1: Keep writing. Just plow through.
0: Just Just plow through. I would love to be the kind of writer who had a specific day, uh, like like I was scheduled. Like, okay, I'm going to start writing at 10. I'm going to write until two every day. I would love to be that kind of writer. I know people like that who no matter what, they're writing between these hours and I know not to call them and I know not to bother them uh, between those hours. I, hate I am being, not by that, the way, but, Oh I my hate gosh. I writers. Hate so oh, I can't stand them. Cause I can't do that. I avoid it until I just absolutely cannot avoid it anymore. When, when it's, when I can't think of anything else, except I need to sit down and write. But once you get into it, once you get over that hurdle of starting and you get into it, or I get into it, I find that like, you know, five hours go by very quickly. When I start writing, it's the, it's the hurdle of jumping in. That's, that's the most daunting to just start. And you have to, you have to just start. And I'm saying that to you. And I'm saying that to myself as well.
1: Okay. Okay. Just start. Okay. What about structure? You know, there are writers who are like, who'd go in and break it down chapter at a time. They just, you know, they get that entire skeleton on paper Yeah. before they write the first word. Myself, with my novel, I knew the skeleton in my head. I just said, okay, today I'm going to do, oh, let's write about the toes today. Okay, oh, head, oh, shoulder. And then now I'm trying to put the skeleton together. That's what I'm doing. And I look at other writers who are like, Oh no, girl. I we wrote it like this and see, we wrote the draft right. and it's beautiful. And I'm like, I hate oh, yeah. you. It's yeah, like, yeah. So what do you you know
0: I, I've taken yeah. a lot of craft classes and I just I've come to the conclusion that you gotta just find what works for you. Whatever gets the words on the page. I didn't this book, I didn't I didn't write this book with a particular structure in mind. It formed as I was going. You know, I was just writing different sh- stories and the structure sort of sort of took shape after the fact. You know, I used the, the Gwendolyn Brooks poem. That was something that came a little bit later in the process. And, you know, Tuan, as I said, the bus, uh, you know, that came a little bit later. So the structure came after. I admire truly people who can write from structure from the beginning. But if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for whatever gets the words on the page. And then you have to deal with it like a puzzle. You have to lay out your pages maybe and put them in different order or something. It's not easy. Writing, writing a book is not easy. And, and you know that because you're writing one. So and it doesn't. it's not over lickety split. It takes a while. It's an art form that is very exacting like any other art form. And so for us, I think getting the words on the page is the most important thing and then for me, structure and, and things like that come after that. If I'm writing to a structure from the beginning, you know, I don't ever stick to it. Like I, you know, my structure comes later on.
1: Okay. I normally ask these regular, qu- these questions at the end. But there's one question about your book I want to ask before I ask those questions. What, the question sure. is um, the bus ride itself, was mm-hmm. that intended as symbolism for yes. the journey it was an intentional
0: okay well i f- i found that it was sim- again the structure came later so i found that it was symbolic you know after the fact you know, okay uh, as i kept writing it yeah
1: okay i just wanted to make sure that that was an intentional <laughs> symbolism i mean after the fact but okay all well, right
0: I'm, if, if you got it as symbolism then i did my job so that's okay good.
1: That's good. yeah i did yeah. get it as symbolism. Yay, finally, I got something. (laughs) What are your favorite, um, top five favorite books of all time?
0: Oh my gosh, Uh, that is a good question. If Beale Street Could Talk, I think by James Baldwin is a really good book. I'm not listing these in any particular order. Interpreter of Maladies by Jhumpa Lahiri. I love that book so much. The Kind of Light That Shines on Texas by uh, Reginald McKnight. Mary Carr's Liars Club, I love. Also, I really love Outline. And I can't remember the name of the author.
1: Outliers?
0: Outline. Outline.
1: Outline.
0: Yes. It's a one of a series, but I can't remember the name of the author. But she does a really great job. Those are just off the top of my head. Toni Morrison's book, Song of Solomon, is also a really amazing, amazing book. I'm Telling the Truth, But I'm Lying is also really amazing. But there's millions of them. Right now course, I'm reading. Of course, of course. I'm reading *Cast* by Isabel Wil- Wilkerson. Oh, oh it's
1: amazing. wow! amazing. Yes. Phenomenal. Book. Um,
0: and *Heavy* by Kiese Lehman. Uh, so there's just tons of okay. books that I read. like. We could we could sit here forever. Okay. No, I
1: know. I that's why I said five. But you know, again, I think you have problems counting. Also, I had another author who had problems yeah. counting. You know, so it's all good.
0: <laughs> describe
1: uh, your book in three my book. words.
0: Don't be ashamed.
1: I like that. I really like that. So um, thank you so much for taking this time and being with me. I really appreciate it. I had a great time.
0: I did as well. Thank you so much. This was fun.
1: All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you want to know more about Brian or his book, go to his website at brianbroom.com. I'll add the link in the show notes. As you know, this month, I'm working on my own manuscript and I'm backlogged on episodes. So next month, you should get the two book clubs from this month and I'll just pick up where I left off. Most likely, I will do a month in review. And um, thank you for hanging in there with me and I'll see you all at the end of this month. Before I go, if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books. I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. On TikTok, my tag is Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, but I think the page is called Living a Life Through Books. On the audio app called Swell, my tag is at Bookish Podcast. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shanazamed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavik. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books, signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time.